Becky is a diastrophic dwarf, or simply a little person. She's a speaker, writer, vlogger, and is very involved in private education. Since 1998, Becky has been in many different roles in the academic world, such as teacher, principal, and school director. She loves being her size, and she firmly believes God doesn't make mistakes. She works with kids because she wants them to know that whatever mountain they're facing in life, they are fully able to conquer it. Becky Biermeyer gives powerful encouragement. She reminds us all that we can climb those mountains and become overcomers. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. One of my favorite stories from Becky is the time that she was standing in a restaurant waiting to be seated and meeting her friends there. And a little kid from across the room yelled excitedly, Mommy, Mommy, look, it's a real life puppet, pointing ecstatically at Becky. Um, As she describes it, the mother was mortified grabbing her son and telling him to shh, shh, shut up, shut up, be quiet, be quiet, because she was so embarrassed that he was calling Becky a puppet. When Becky laughed and waved at this cute little kid, he said, Mom, the puppet's waving at me. And the mom again shushed her child up. So, Becky shared this story with us as she shared many different funny stories because she was our guest expert inside of present play my uh, membership and community shout out to all my present players if you haven't watched that live session yet you absolutely must it's been one of the most favorite uh, live sessions over on present play and in it she helped us understand how to teach our children to relate to people with disabilities what to say what not to say etc which i know can be a really uncomfortable topic for us parents the fear that our children are going to say the wrong things or just the question of how to approach varying, you know, situations, different abilities, um, different looks that people might have, etc. How to talk about people's looks or bodies or or, uh, capabilities with children in a way that empowers them and also teaches them, uh, you know, kindness and compassion and respect and being polite and all of that stuff. I mean, we've all had that kid say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Am I right? When I was four years old, or maybe a little younger, I turned to one of my aunties and said to her face, why is your bottom so big? (laughs) Which is something I've never been able to live down. But whenever I pass anyone who looks a little different from what my children are used to, I'm always nervous about, oh no, are they going to point? Are they going to say the wrong thing? Are they going to ask the wrong question? And uh, I think we all live with that fear, right? Of being embarrassed by our children's very innocent curiosity. So Becky is absolutely brilliant at talking about this. And that's what I spoke to her about last time. But today I want to bring Becky back on because that session got so much enthusiasm inside of Present Play. I actually wanted to bring her back on onto the podcast this time so that you all can benefit from her and we can all listen to her wisdom again. Um, so Becky's main topic, what she speaks about, what she writes about, what she creates videos about is overcoming. 
And as you're going to see in this conversation that I have with Becky, she really is about building resilience and not about allowing, you know, self-pity to seep in to our children. And instead, whether they're, they have full abilities or a disability, whatever situation they're in, um, really empowering children so that they become problem solvers um, rather than, you know, problem seekers and, and people who focus on what they can't do. So without further ado, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's bring on Becky. Hi, Becky. Hello. How are you? I am so well. Thank you so much for taking the time today to have a conversation. Um, for everybody listening, I had the great pleasure of having my first uh, conversation with Becky back in our Present Play membership, and it just hit so many chords with the audience that I had to bring it, uh, bring this topic back and bring Becky back uh, to our greater audience, to the podcast. So Becky, thank you so much for taking the time again to share your wisdom. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Thank you. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and give us some background about yourself and your work? Absolutely. I am Becky Biermeyer and I am a 47-year-old little person. My diagnosis is called diastrophic dwarfism and there are almost about 300 kinds of dwarfism around the world. Mine is pretty rare. It's a hidden recessive gene. So both of my parents are average height. And then as far as all of us kids go, I have another brother who's a little person and one who's average height. Uh, I was really drawn to working with kids because they loved the fact that their teacher was their size. And I just thought that was the absolute sweetest part of my, my week. And so I switched careers from working in the music industry to working with kids. And I've been a teacher, a principal, a head of administration, and um, just absolutely love pouring into kids who need to overcome. Wow, that is so amazing. So you were originally in the music industry. Right. Wow, I did not know that. Wow, so that's a big transition into right. the world of education. Amazing. So, uh, so Becky, growing up disabled, tell us about a time that your parents had to impart a hard life lesson. <laughs> there were lots of them. I think the thing I appreciate the most is my parents gave me the automatic confidence that I could do hard things. So Saturday morning, average height kids are changing the sheets on their bed, and so am I. I just have to go about it differently, but they never ever had that whole pity thing of, oh, poor Becky, she's little, she's going to need extra help. Instead, it was, you're a smart girl, you'll figure this out. So it was things like from that to clearing the table and doing the dishes, yard work, all sorts of things. And I love that they just assumed I could do it, gave me the confidence, and then they said, if you get stuck or need our help, come find us. Wow. So did you ever as a child feel like it's not fair that they're demanding of me the same as someone of average height uh, and that, you know, they should be giving you special treatment? Uh, you know, I don't think so because I didn't know any different. You know, this is the only family I was in and, you know, I didn't have any self-pity because they didn't have any pity for me. So it was completely off my radar to expect something different. Wow, that is so interesting, I think, and applicable to any child, right. right? Any parenting scenario where we might be 
introducing a sense of pity or a sense of lowering expectations or lowering the bar or the threshold, right? Because to make excuses, it's so interesting how in many ways what you're saying is that that would have been disempowering. Absolutely. That's the perfect word for it because until a child knows they can't, they think they can. Mm. Isn't that why they jump off the couch wearing a cape? (laughs) You know, they think they can fly. And why? Because they haven't found out that they can't yet. Hmm. And that's where it's at. So you think thinking that you can't is a learnt behavior? That with children that they can't. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. I absolutely think that. And whether it's experience that teaches them, obviously they jump off the couch and figure out they're not going to fly, or somebody else comes up and tells them they can't. Hmm. So I think that's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from your work, not allowing self-pity in your child seems to be the key for them to be successful uh, and give them that empowerment that we're talking about, right? So how did your parents figure this out? How did they know to raise you that way? And I'm assuming your brother as well. Yeah. You know, there were no other disabled people in our family. So the only time they were around disabled families was when they would go to the children's hospital and sitting there in the waiting room, you can see a range of different parenting styles. So my parents were uh, observing families who overcompensated for their child's handicap and they were spoiling them and doing everything for them, really coddling them. And those children were the whiny ones And those children were the demanding ones. And then you had other parents who had boundaries, were loving but affirming, consistent. And those were the kids who were well-behaved. And my parents looked at each other and kind of made that decision in that moment. We want to be like that. We're going to raise our kids, how many ever we get, to be, you know, no pity. We're, you know, not going to lower our expectations because look what happens when you do. Hmm. Wow, that's a lot of foresight there. And it's so interesting, you know, we talk a lot about boundaries and expectations. And one of the things that I, you know, learn within parenting that I've been, you know, trying to really integrate, and I was lucky to see a really good model of this in my home as well, is the idea of having high expectations of our children, Mm -hmm. of having firm boundaries. Um, And then, you know, those of us who really don't want to go the the authoritarian and punitive and angry route have to learn how to have those high expectations, but still have a lot of warmth and a lot of connection and a lot of kindness. Right. Right. And I'm just so curious because I think, you know, um, it's so easy to feel like, well, when I have high expectations, you know, if I go and tell my child who's struggling with a disability to make their bed just like every other child and it's much harder for them, I can just imagine in your parents' head that feeling of, is this fair? Is this kind? Is this gentle enough? Right? So I think, and and I, you know, and I think that's applicable to so many different situations, just feeling like, well, it's hard for them. You know, I mean, I even have this with just my own kids clearing the table at the end of dinner. Oh, they're tired. They don't want to, you know, should I be forcing it? It's just so interesting. I'm curious what comes up for you with regards to that. Yeah, I think, you know, that kind of thing is most important. I think that here's the line is when you're dealing with your child as a parent, only you know the difference between breaking their will 
and breaking their spirit. You don't want to break their spirit, but you're listening for that moment of kind of pushing them right to that line where you don't want it to affect their soul. You know, where you're pushing them, it's okay that they're uncomfortable, it's okay that they're tired, it's okay that it's hard, um, but you, and I'm sure as a parent, you know, that point where their voice starts to crack, and you just kind of start to watch them melt, that's the moment you come in and say, I got your back. Let's brainstorm ideas together. So it's not that the parent is going to another floor of the house and or going shopping saying, good luck with that. They're in within eye distances and sound distance, of course, because they're looking for that moment when it is time to step in and help brainstorm. Not do it for them, but to brainstorm. Oh, I love that. I think that's such an important distinction. It's the idea of being comfortable with being uncomfortable and going to that limit of what we didn't necessarily most want to do. Like it's not our most perfect comfort situation that we wanted. So we're right. pushing ourselves a little out of that in order to stretch, right? Right. So far that I'm in meltdown mode and I can't handle this and it's too much stress for me. Is that how you felt as a child? Did you feel that level, that level of support? Yeah, I did. And they taught me early on to ask. Mm. And say, you know, they would say, like for me, getting dressed by myself was a challenge until I was about 10. And they'd say, let's see how far you can get. And when you're truly stuck, give us a holler and we'll help you out. Mm. And so, it, you know, whenever I hit that point and I would call for help, they'd say, give me five more minutes. I need to finish up, blah, blah, blah. Keep trying. <laughs> you know? Sneaky. <laughs> Very sneaky. Uh, you know, they're drying the dishes for the third time while they're buying me time. But yeah. um, And then when they would come in, it was so great because it was a celebration. It was, wow, look, you got your socks further this week than you did last week. Do you see how far you made it? Good job. And so it was, they came in and offered a celebration instead of a, I'll just do it for you. And so really pointing out what I did well, and they would say, oh, I know these pants are too tight. Mommy sees they're too tight. Let me help you with that. You know, um, and saying, you know, when you get to be a woman, you'll be able to dress yourself entirely all by yourself, and mom and dad will help you figure that out. And so just really, I mean, it's that active parenting, that 24-7, taking advantage of every possible teachable moment, even when the parent is tired, even when it's easier to step in and do it. Yeah, yeah, wow. So what do kids need the most from their parents when it comes to being an overcomer? And just for anyone listening, I think, am I right in saying that this is the overarching theme of your work, Becky, is overcoming resilience, basically building yeah. children? Absolutely. I think what kids need the most is to do things for themselves with you telling them they can, not telling them they can't. You know, it's the whole, I'm wearing a cape, let me try and jump. And, um, and so just you know, if they think they can get up in the car and they're two and you, it's easier for you to pick them up and put them in their car seat, but they want to try, let them try. And if they just make it to the floor of the car, yay, look how far you made it. Next time we try, I bet, you know, and I think it's just because the, the day and age we live in, we want everything so fast. 
But I think as adults, it's our job to slow down and let it be a process. And so kids need that. They need time to strategize. They need time to brainstorm. They need time to try and fail and try again. Yeah, I think that's so strong. It's really, you know, we talk a lot about independence and uh, freedom for children to, first of all, develop at their own pace and in their own way. Um, but also be allowed to push the boundaries of what, you know, what they were able to do, both in terms of taking physical risks, like you're saying, like jumping off the couch and climbing up and, you know, learning a new skill, whatever it is, using a knife, learning to make fat, whatever it is, right? Sometimes we're so focused on the safety and on the controlling aspect of parenting and also just moving along the day, like, come on, got to get this done. Um, that we can't, you know, it's very challenging to slow down and say, oh, you want to unload the dishwasher or you want to try and, you know, tie your shoes. Um, But what you're saying is really focusing on the fact that at every opportunity that they want to do something, allowing them to, and then also from the framework of what they have accomplished and what they can do. And even just the fact that they tried, right? I think. Yeah. And what it does is it makes us as the adult reframe our day if we know we need to be in the car at 6 p.m okay well we have a two-year-old we really need to be in the car at 5 45 you know um and so that allows we need to build that margin in for those teachable moments because otherwise we won't i won't you know if i don't build that margin in i'm going to take every last possible second then i'm going to get frustrated toss the two-year-old into their seat buckle them up and complain that they didn't get their shoes on and that's not that's not peaceful for them or for us hmm. right so it's about taking that time ahead of time to right. know that every transition we can right could could and should be an opportunity for independence right or any activity right cooking cleaning mm-hmm. getting in and out whatever it is right so let's talk about different ages and stages of kids and what they need from us as parents in order to be overcomers right so you have had so much experience teaching all these different stages and i'd just love to hear from you if you could just break it down for us a little bit and because we're a community of mostly people with with younger ages let's focus on say up to preteens or, or the early teens but Starting from, from preschool, what are the things that we can really focus on as parents to, to build that resiliency, bake it in to our parenting? Well, the recurring theme is independence through all of it. But for preschool, I just love them. They are so funny. Um, I think for them, it really is to build overcomers. It is that they clearly understand reward and consequence. So, and when you say reward and consequences, are you talking about natural consequences and rewards? I just want to reiterate that for our, for anyone listening. And are you talking about the idea that, or maybe you just tell me what you're what you mean by that? Because, you know, we talk a lot about rewards and and punishments in our community being something that typically we want to avoid that manipulative behavior of rewarding and punishing. So, but but there are so many natural rewards and consequences inherent to our behavior and we can highlight that yes. for our children. So is that what you mean? Yes. A perfect example is a good friend of mine. Her daughter, Hannah, was refusing to wear a coat to the bus stop for school. And, you know, September, you can get away with that. October, mm, not so much. Well, Hannah was refusing to wear her coat and Shelly, my good, good friend, just decided not to fight that battle. And was like, okay, you're big enough to choose when you need a coat and not or not, you know. Um, and so it took the first day standing there in the rain at 40 degrees, 
for Hannah to figure it out. And it was never a fight after that. So absolutely. And then there are some just natural as adults. If we speed, then we get a speeding ticket. And so as parents or in my role as a teacher, there are times we do have to implement those consequences based on the safety of the child, based on the maturity and the end goal of the child, not to be manipulative and controlling. I mean, do you really care if they have blueberries or banana? No, you don't need to control that. But do you require them to eat something healthy today? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So it's basically, yeah, the natural or logical consequences that just make sense. But I think what you're saying is that we really want to highlight so that they can kind of forge those neuronal pathways of when I behave in a certain way, I get or don't get what I'm what I'm desiring in the world. Like it, it influences other people. It impacts, you know, impacts my life and the people around me and just right that's a difficult connection to make during those years in terms of the developmental stage right Right. absolutely if you choose this then this will happen however if you choose this then this good will happen and uh, you know really spelling it out because really that age from two to five is all about rewarding consequence and understanding that every choice has a result Okay, so go on to elementary school. How do we raise overcomers? We teach them to brainstorm. So for them, we're trying to teach them to come up with possible strategies and think through, okay, that's a good idea. If you do this, what will be the consequence? Okay, what are some other options? Getting them to think through the if and the then before it happens. Giving that empowerment back to them instead of expecting us to solve everything. So letting them brainstorm and have a chance to regroup when they fail. And that's one thing as adults where we really don't give them enough time to regroup after they fail. Get back up, try another way. That's so interesting because I I find that a lot with my son who's eight at the moment. And I definitely find that it demands a lot of patience of me because his process is much slower than mine. Obviously, as the adult, I'm like, I know the answer. (laughs) Yeah, but giving him the time and saying, well, you know what, you're a smart kid. I'm sure you can figure out some ideas. Let's talk about this. Um, And then closing my mouth and letting him actually do it um, really does build up his uh, problem-solving capacity. I see this often between my children, like when they're having an argument or something, and they'll come to me, you know, you know, I said this, Liam said that. And I'll say, well, have you spoken to your brother about it? You know, what does he say? You know, have you told him how you feel? No, I'm coming to tell you. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not in the argument. Why don't you go and tell him? He's the one who needs to hear it, and I can help you if you need. But... That's, and, and then when they realize that I'm not going to solve it for them, they start to figure it out for themselves. And I feel That's like fantastic. that builds their muscle to, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like middle school, getting to the preteen. Yeah. Here's a lot of what I think. A 13-year-old needs some of the lessons, again, that a three-year-old got 
14, 4, 15, 5. So there's a 10-year gap, but it's almost a secondary development of those same kinds of things. So with middle school, let's go back to reward and consequence. Let's go back to thinking through, if I do this, then this. Um, and so being really consistent with reward and consequence for middle schoolers mm. and them figuring it out, I made a choice and it got me this. Mm. And so the other part of middle school is that we don't dial down our parenting the older that the kids get. They need more parenting. So they need more time. And I know it's easy to go, well, she's 13, she's in a room, she's great. Or he's 14, he's in the basement playing games, he's fine. But they need more time. And that's right when my dad started taking us on meaningless errands just to get us in the car for mm -hmm. talk time. And about three weeks ago, one of my goddaughters was in from Nashville, and she's 13. And we had a lovely day, and it was silly, but it wasn't until we were both in the car driving that she started to talk. Mm. And our drive was 45 minutes while she was still talking. I kept driving. I'm not going to close off that opportunity, you wow. know? Yes. And we drove for two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. And by the time I pulled into the garage, you know, she said, um, Auntie Becky, can we keep talking? And I was like, yes. And so time, 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 time from middle school. And they're going to fight. You know, they want to be in their room. They want to be independent. They need you to go, hey, I'm going to the hardware store. Come along. I'm going to the grocery. Come along. And not giving them, no, no, you need to come. Come on, get in the car. Wow. Yeah. Come. That's so interesting, just that concept that they need more parenting and not less as they grow older. I think we're all kind of hoping, oh, it gets easier in a bit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, bathroom duty gets easier. Right. <laughs> you know. Kind of investment, yeah. And then what are, the, what are some tips for high school, even though most people listening probably don't have high schoolers, but some of us do, so go for it. Yeah, high school, real quick, you've taught them well, you've trained them well, now they get to go outside of your home and try it and come back and process with you. So making that a safe place. So they're going to go off for the first time to you know, a soccer game with friends, and you're not there, they're just in a car with friends, come back and, okay, let's process through how did it go? What went well? What would you have done differently? You know, asking the question, what would you have done differently tonight? You know, opens that conversation without it being shame-based. And um, just to, you know, invite them back in to process how it went. You know? That's so interesting. I'm thinking back to myself as a teenager. I don't think I would have had that kind of conversation of like processing. You know, my, my parents are fantastic and I'm eternally grateful to them. But it wasn't like, I mean, we were talking about what happened in debriefing, right? Typically, right. right? But I think opening that channel is, I mean, what a supportive, what a supportive, if, if the teen is open to it, which I think yeah. can be difficult, I'm sure. Right. A good friend of mine, she's got a great strategy for her high school kids. She took like business cards, but blank ones, and she wrote on there, and they keep them in their billfold, I really screwed up. I need your help <laughs> on one. I made a super bad decision. Please pick me up. And she's got like three or four cards that her kids can pull at any time and call for a rescue. And so, and they have, I think that's fantastic. And you know, it was a four 30 in the morning. She gets this call and off she goes to pick 
up her daughter and just does it with a smile and a laugh and say, honey, I've been there. If you want to share, you can. If not, you can use your card. Wow. Right? Amazing. I would have been so, I know I would have been so much more open with my parents instead of trying to like, they're going to be so disappointed. I've got to spin this so it sounds good. Right? Wow. That's amazing. What a permission to, to grow up and to make mistakes and to be human. (laughs) Right. And And to have a parent rescue you that that becomes a safe place. Exactly. Yeah. I think so often it's about teens hiding their their mistakes from their parent and I think so much about my strategy in parenting little ones now is how can I be their safe place to go to when they mess up how can you know what can I do now so that they know that I won't shame them and I will be on their side and I will I'm a helping hand I'm the person they should come to not hide it from right yeah so powerful okay so uh, given all of your experience i'd love for you to just touch briefly on what your advice in terms of overcoming and resilience would be to families who are in more unique situations right so um some of the things that that come up for families that aren't necessarily on this typical you know preschool elementary middle school right. school, but but special scenarios so for example how would you advise parents who are going through social issues with their children, such as bullying, mm-hmm. relationships, or that kind of thing? How can children overcome that? Yeah, boy, I tell you, since we were their age, a lot has changed. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for them is to not label themselves a victim, a victim of a bully you know, I'm the victim, because what happens is almost like having an invisible sign on your back that says, kick me. And, (laughs) and so what happens, then everyone kicks you. And that sign is there whether you see it or not. And so um, equipping the child about what to say and how to respond, that they need a go to response that they've memorized. And when I was principal, I would work with kids. Okay, here's your response. Next time somebody says something, you say, and then what we would do is we would practice it in my office. Can you so give an example? I'm sorry? Can you give an example of the response? Yes. <laughs> the kids loved it. It worked every time. What I taught them to do is to say to the bully, it sounds like you have a problem with me that you and I can't solve alone. Let's go down to Miss Biermeyer's office and she'll help us. Wow. And that's as simple as it was. And every time the bully backed off. Hmm. Wow. How did you design that sentence specifically? Gosh. Well, I, you know, I wish I could say, well, it was this point or that point. I think I just found what worked after mm. looking at a lot that didn't work. <laughs> Try you know? That's brilliant, though. I feel like it's so brilliantly crafted because it's basically saying, it's, oh, I just love it. It sounds like there's an issue here and we need help. And it doesn't put you in that victim space, right? It doesn't be like, you need to leave me alone and this isn't fair and I'm going to tell on you or that kind of thing, right? Um, but it's also saying there, there is a support system here and I won't be invisible within this dynamic, right? Exactly. That's the key. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Okay, thank you. So what about um, overcoming learning challenges or uh, autism 
or learning disabilities or those kind of things. I'm yeah. sure you see a lot of different diagnoses um, yeah. and more and more probably, is that true within the school system? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what is your advice to parents struggling with labels like ADHD or mm. um, you know, oppositional defiance disorder or you know, sensory processing disorders or all, 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 all manner? Right. Well, there's no one answer for everybody. Every child's unique, even within the struggle that they have. My sensory kids don't all respond the same way. And so I think it's looking for connectedness, emotional connectedness between the adult and the child. And so because once they start to spin emotionally or just mentally, they get test anxiety or whatever it is, they need us to be the calm one. They need us to be able to grab on emotionally and just be there. So it's parents dealing with homework. It's me as a teacher dealing with stress anxiety or my child who has Tourette's and is blurting out all the time. Half the time he's doing it because of Tourette's. The other half of the time he's doing it because he thinks it's funny and he's 13 like every other 13 year old. Mm -hmm. And so knowing the child, knowing that they're safe with the adult to be where they're at, you know, and to privately kind of get their moment to pull it together. You know, I, I have something I do with all my kids in that situation mm. where I will say, could you do me a quick favor? I know we're about ready to take a test, but I'm out of, and then I name some random office supply, sticky notes, staples, <laughs> at home too. Could you do mom a favor? I really need a new Kleenex box from the basement. And what you do is you've got to remove them from that stressful environment. And for me, they're gone, what, two and a half minutes to go upstairs and get staplers from the secretary? What did they gain? Everything. What did I lose? Nothing. I just bought them time out of the room to regroup. They come in, they bring me the staplers. I give them a wink and say, you ready to take your test now? And they're like, yes, Hmm. you know. And so we kind of, it is that balance of buying them some emotional space time. A lot of time in the classroom, they don't want to melt down in front of their friends, of course. You know, at home, you've got company over and it's too loud. You don't want, they don't want to melt down in front of the company. That's when you say, would you go back to the bedroom? I need you to grab me my comb, please. Mm. Just give them a reason to excuse themselves to kind of regroup. And if you need to follow them, perfect. Mm. So it's always offering an exit. Is that yep. kind of like a graceful exit where no one loses face? Right. It sounds like that's for children who are a little bit older, right? Because, I mean, children who are facing those kind of challenges who are younger, I don't know that they would necessarily even have the social, you know, awkwardness of not wanting to melt. That They would just be in a meltdown in that situation in front of the guests. I mean, I know that my kids do, at least. <laughs> yeah. Well, but as they grow older, right, they would need that. And, you know, for a lot of our teachers in our school, there's like a, a – calm it down quiet quiet corner or whatever you can name it that's kind of clever and anybody mom dad the children if they need to pull it together and just get away can go sit on the beanbag mm-hmm. you know and that's just the whole I need some space right now and our teachers can say you know what Monica let's go ahead and have some time on the beanbag mm-hmm. there's some fun books over there and I'll come visit with you in a little bit 
And so sometimes we have to direct them there when they're little like that, yeah. you know, or it really is just pulling them on your lap, you know, and, and being the calm one and letting that radiate from you to them. Hmm. So I love what you're saying about being the calm one and creating a calm place for them and giving them permission to get out of their stressful situation. And I'm also just linking this back to what you said in the beginning. And I'm sure that part of the idea of helping any child who's facing any kind of label um, is not, not pitying them, right? Yeah. Not, not letting them off of, of the expectations, catering to their needs, right? right. But still right. expecting them to overcome. Is that, yes. is that something key there as well? Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I mean, restaurants, think about what a nightmare it is when you have a little yeah. one who has a meltdown in a restaurant. You just pull them off to the restroom. Mm -hmm. You know, you just put them on your lap. You whisper to them. You rock them a little bit. And then you say, we're going to go back out there. And I expect, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that's a great way you're pulling them away from the scenario. So um, you can always find a way in a place. Thank you. Okay, so uh, last question here, um, Becky, is I wanted to ask you about your experience as a teacher and a school administrator and a principal and around parents who are feeling overprotective, right? Because I know that we feel there's a lot of helicopter parenting or tiger parenting or mama bears and, you know, protecting their children right and it's I get it I get it I understand the mom who's driving to bring her lunch to school and I understand the mom who's doing her home doing the homework for the child or whatever it is what what is your experience from the other from the other side from from your school experience side and, yeah. and what do you think about that type of parenting it I tell you you are not winning any friends by being a mama bear and you're not winning any favor from the teacher or the administrators. And you don't want to serve that mom. You don't want to serve that dad. Whereas if you've got a parent who comes in and says, I, I'm a partner. I've got your back. I know you've got mine. I will always be kind. How can we help my son with blah, blah, blah? I need your input. And hopefully you've got a good administrator who will say, Nobody knows your son better than you, so I need to hear from you. Um, but it really is like the louder you get, the quicker you lose respect, just like with your kids, but also with authority at school or wherever you might be. More often than not, if you approach it with kindness and partnership, that's how you win the help your child needs. Hmm. And what's coming up for me when you say that is that that's also how you model for your child, you know, just respect for people and in right. general, like do we want to I mean both towards the child themselves who may feel coddled or overprotected or over controlled right like I think no one wants a, a parent of theirs coming in and clearing the path for them and and you know right. but also just in terms of what we teach them and you know how we can get along within every context um and with all people so i think that's so crucial i'm so curious becky just as a as a, a bonus question um how do your child how do the children in the school uh relate to you and do they how do they handle your dwarfism and do they yeah. talk about it do they ask you crazy questions like <laughs> I mean, how how tall are you in in comparison to the kids well i'm 
three and a half feet tall. And because I teach middle school, they're all taller than I am. And I, I actually love being a little person. I, I think it's fantastic. And so because the kids see my confidence that I have, at first they're really hesitant, they're a little nervous, but then I get to start telling fun stories of, you know, how I get the best places for hide and go seek because I can fit in the cupboard <laughs> <and> pants. <laughs> you know, I approach it very lighthearted, very fun, very factual. And then I open the floor for questions. Usually I don't get a lot of questions from middle schoolers, but I'll say, Ooh, do you guys want to know how I drive? And then four or five are nodding their head. Yes. Or, Oh, do you want to know how I alter my clothes to fit me? And then that'll open up a bigger springboard. And um, so it really comes down with humor and relating to them. And I'll say, you know, no matter how tough your life is, you can always remember mine's a little tougher physically. And that if you need a partner in figuring things out, I'm great with that. And so whether it's friend problems or parent problems or, you know, school problems, I'm a good problem solver because I do it every day. And so it becomes a really fun relationship. And, um, yeah, we have a great time with it. And they joke because sometimes I'll back over their notebook with my mobility scooter or, you know, they're like, if you run over my homework, then I don't have to turn it in, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it ends up being a really neat bonding thing because everybody, especially middle school, they're feeling weak. They're feeling awkward. They're feeling like they don't fit a mold. Well, welcome to my world. I don't fit a mold. I'm three and a half feet tall and 47 years old. I don't fit a mold. And so there's that natural connection, which is why I completely changed my career path. Hmm. Wow. I'm sure that is just priceless for them to have that relationship with you and to have you as a role model, um, you know, just showing them how you can shine your light and be such an incredible educator and you know, pillar of wisdom and not needing to fit a mold and how that that's, you know, that's not what's necessary. They're probably not real happy because I don't take excuses and they're like, yeah, do you think excuses are going to work with me? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the downside I'm sure for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Becky, thank you so much for your time. And where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, I would love to email parents some resources that I have, and they can email me at everybodylookup at gmail.com. They can also find me on YouTube. I've got a lot of videos there about overcoming, and they can look me up by Becky, B-E-C-K-I, and then my last name is Biermeyer, B-I-E-R-M-A-I-E-R, -E -E and I'm also there under Everybody Look Up as well, so... Um, they can come find me. I'm glad to help them out, answer any questions they have. And they can email me directly, and I'll be glad to answer them back. Wow. Well, that is incredibly generous of you, Becky. Um, I'm sure you're going to get flooded with emails after this. <laughs> but um, I will say I've seen some of your videos on YouTube, and they're just, uh, just brilliant. And it's just very, very generous of you to share your, your wisdom and your perspective. I think it's really very... Uh, enlightening for us all so thank you thank you for not keeping thank it to you yourself so much. <laughs> thank you so much
Wow, what a brilliant conversation. Am I right? Thank you so much to Becky who gave us her time. And I really encourage you all to email her and check out her YouTube videos and learn more about her approach to overcoming and resilience. And I think that in today's day and age, um, many of us don't realize just how strong our children are and just how high our expectations can and perhaps should be of children. When I first learned about peaceful parenting, one of the most powerful and helpful ideas around peaceful parenting that helped me really understand what it was, was the fact that authoritarian parenting has high expectations, high demands, and low support. And then permissive parenting has low expectations and low demands and high support. But peaceful parenting, as Dr. Laura Markham has taught me, has high expectations, high demands, but also high support and high warmth. So you're taking the warmth and the supportiveness from a permissive parenting model, and you're taking the high expectations and high demands from an authoritarian parenting model. And that's the authoritative approach or the peaceful approach, the wise parenting approach, that that approach that does have expectations from the child, does have boundaries, does have limits, does have demands, but also is extremely warm and connected uh, and prioritizes connection. And I really feel like that is at the root of what Becky is talking about here. Um, So yeah, I would absolutely love it if you share this episode out, tag Becky, tag myself, um, and share it with anyone who you think might find it helpful. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.